It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I hope you're going to enjoy this morning's show. I'm going to cover quite a bit of country. Um, starting off with, it was nearly 50 years ago, in fact, 49 years ago, that President Nixon signed off on the beginning of the Alaskan Pipeline. What makes me mention that next year will be the 50th anniversary of the Alaskan Pipeline, arguably one of the most successful things the United States has ever done in the energy business. Can you imagine trying to get the Alaskan Pipeline built today? We couldn't get the Keystone Pipeline built, which had nowhere near the potential environmental issues of the Alaskan Pipeline. And I mention this because... For all the progress we've made, we really are not forward-thinking on a lot of our efforts when it comes to how we can benefit conservation and benefit the environment while also developing our natural resources. And I've said for forever, Teddy Roosevelt said, conservation is the wise use of our natural resources. That's conservation. Environmentalism is almost like, don't touch a thing. It has to stay the way it is. So the Alaskan pipeline was built. There was controversy. It's been an an unbelievable success. It actually has helped the caribou herds in Alaska. A lot of it's built over the ground, above the ground, so the caribou can migrate underneath it. Turns out that the heat from the pipeline in the winter of the oil moving Actually, it's been a benefit to wildlife, big game. And here we are nearly 50 years later, and it's still a success. And without the Alaskan pipeline, what do you think our energy supply would look like in America today? We, we, we go on bended knee to, to Saudi Arabia and Middle East, begging them to pump more oil. If we didn't have the Alaskan pipeline, we, we would be in a terrible situation. The Keystone Pipeline, which was scheduled to be built until two years ago, is nowhere near the environmental consequences that could have occurred in Alaska 50 years ago. But moreover, what the environmental groups forgot was that there is huge money for conservation when you do a project like this. It's not as though the pipeline goes through and nobody protects wildlife, wetlands, natural areas. That's not true at all. In fact, the money from the pipeline going through finances a huge conservation effort. And while I don't believe you can really make things better than Mother Nature made them, you also can expand the impact on the land of positive conservation management. So the Keystone Pipeline is sitting, not not being built. We all know that. We we see what's happened to energy prices, not entirely as a result of that, that's for sure, because after all, energy prices were low just three or four years ago, relatively speaking, and we didn't have the pipeline. But 
I'm offering this morning that, once again, the difference between conservation, the wise use and sustainable use of our natural resources, and environmentalism is enormous, absolutely enormous. And unfortunately, we as a country seem to be shifting ever more towards environmentalism and away from conservation. What's happening at the Wildlife Society, which is the preeminent scientific organization in the world, the Wildlife Society is made up of wildlife biologists, scientists who are members of the Wildlife Society. It's the biggest gathering annually of the profession. If you have a paper published in the Wildlife Society papers, you've it, it's, it's the equivalent of the AMA Journal or New England Medicine. It's, it's a big deal. The Wildlife Society has unexplicably, inexplicably permitted anti-hunting groups to present papers, and not even papers, and opinions at a scientific conference. It's, it has caused a, a true, uh, I guess the best way to say it is, is a true disruption of, of the Wildlife Society and what it stands for, with many people questioning, why would the Wildlife Society permit anti-hunting, anti-management groups to speak at a professional symposium using opinions instead of using scientific facts? So this is, this is going to be, it could be the event, such as happened with the Outdoor Writers Association, quite a while ago when anti-hunting groups were invited to come and speak at the Outdoor Writers Association of America and the Outdoor Writers Association of America was never the same as, it, as groups split off. But it doesn't make any sense that the Wildlife Society would invite people who do not present scientific papers to come in and present opinions on on why we shouldn't hunt, why we shouldn't manage lands, why we shouldn't fish. These are the professionals who got advanced degrees, members of the Wildlife Society, to practice wildlife management. It, it is something that I, I think we're going to rue the day when we let anti-hunting groups have a seat at the table in science-based organizations. And just to carry this one step further before I go to the break, um, Washington State, it's rather unbelievable what's going on in Washington State. They have a commission in Washington State, and the commission now has five members who don't believe really in hunting or wildlife management, and four members who do believe in wildlife management. So you have the Department of Natural Resources in the state of Washington being run by a majority of commission members who don't approve of hunting, and who want to undermine the very reason that the commission exists. They want to change. They want to change the focus and the future of wildlife management so that consumptive wildlife management, which is hunting and fishing, which benefits all wildlife species, is no longer used as the primary reason for managing resources. Instead, we would manage resources for non-consumptive species. And it would, if that happens, 
I can tell you from my years of experience in this that all species benefit by wildlife management when you focus on consumptive management of species, whether it be big game, deer, elk, antelope, moose, whatever it is, or birds, duck, doesn't quail, rabbits, whatever it might be. The byproduct is from those funds and that management, all bird life and all wildlife benefit. The reverse is not true. It is absolutely not true that when you manage for, I'll say, uh, a ground squirrel, you can, have, you can benefit elk and deer. It doesn't work that way. And yet agencies now are increasingly being run by individuals who have no background in, in wildlife management. But Washington is the first state to actually have a commission where the majority of people on the commission don't think that hunting really should be part of wildlife management. It, in fact, they could care less if anyone hunted. It, it, truly is, it truly is shocking. So when I come back from the break, I'm going to talk about something I had before, Pittman-Robertson, and what may also be happening there as a threat to the future of wildlife management. And this one is a big threat. And with a new Congress coming in uh, in Washington, D.C., we'll see what happens. I'll be back in just a moment to talk about that and also a little bit of talk about California. Our friends to the West are, are improvising on how they get water and its effects on wildlife. You're listening to The Great Outdoors Show. This is your host, Charlie Potter, on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. When sunrise is your alarm clock, life is different. You eat a ditch for breakfast. Love the smell of diesel in the morning with a hot cup of joe. The weather report is 40% chance of mud. And corporate pull, that's 36,000 pounds of towing capacity with a gooseneck trailer. Mudden is PTO. You know sometimes when the paved road ends, the fun begins. Chevy Silverado 3500 HD is waiting to run over something, anything. No road, no problem, because the best way out is always through. A trouble rides a swift horse, and you don't want trouble pulling a backhoe loader. Chevy Silverado HD is a wake-up call. Now, during Chevy truck season, get a $1,000 accessory allowance toward the purchase of a new truck with accessories. You worked hard for your money. Spend it smart. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer today or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for all the details. Chevy Silverado HD. Power up and experience life in HD. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Hope you're enjoying the show. Before I went to the break, I said I'd talk about this thing called Pittman-Robertson which I've talked otherwise known as PR funds. It is the excise tax that is put on ammunition and firearms that provides the largest funding source for state agencies to manage wildlife. Federal government collects the tax. They distribute it to the states. It has been, over the years, the single greatest source of revenue to create areas for access to create management for hunting. Uh, it, the whole element of, of wildlife management has benefited, and non-game species have benefited, benefited from Pittman-Robertson. So here we are, now looking at a possibility that Pittman-Robertson can be changed 
And if the change happens, I think you could say goodbye to much of the conservation world as we know it. And, and states, frankly, their departments of natural resources would basically go broke. So what's happened in recent years is that the number of people buying firearms for sporting uses has dramatically declined, while the number of people buying firearms for self-protection has skyrocketed. Pittman-Robertson funds are at all-time high revenues, tax revenues, and the states have become relatively, well, not relatively, the states have become addicted to this money. It, it is a big part of their budget. Now, many crime groups, anti-crime groups, rather, are saying, wait a minute, why should fish and wildlife, particularly wildlife and conservation, get all this money when the majority of the funds coming in from the tax are coming from people buying self-defense weapons, buying pistols, buying you know handguns. Uh, and the crime, in order to, to better combat crime, that tax ought to be uh, diverted to go to agencies and go to states so that they can have more money to fight crime. Uh, if this were to happen, and I'm not saying it's bad, so please don't think I'm saying that. I'm just saying it would bankrupt conservation. The largest source of revenue would be gone overnight. And for many years, individuals have tried to expand the tax on things to cover other areas of outdoor recreation. It's always failed. <clears throat> the camping industry's failed as opposed to the boating. Every, everyone's opposed to it. And yet the, pit, yet the funds for Pittman-Robertson came originally by hunters supporting uh, it being used. So think of, think of so many boat ramps you use. Pittman-Robertson paid for those things. Think of acts, public access so many places. Parking lots, Pittman-Robertson paid for that. Wildlife, Pittman-Robertson paid for that. It is absolutely true that, that sporting arms are a small percentage now of the tax revenue being created and that non-sporting arms are the largest source. So there is, you could make the case, well, if that's, and crime is such a big problem, as we all know, that those guns are largely used for, for self-defense or being used in the commitment of crimes. The tax ought to go to fight that. I, I, I can understand that argument. I would simply offer there ought to be a different way to get money for that and not take away the single largest benefit for conservation, which is Pittman-Robertson. I, I think that you're going to find that, of course, the states, the Department of Natural Resources in the states will scream loudly about losing this revenue. On the other hand, they're up against the state police. They're up against mayors of cities they're up against a huge constituency that says we want the money and political power usually wins so down the radar bill collerton the host on the great outdoor show prior to me always used to say from his days in world war ii as an ace fighter pilot look out charlie for the speck on the horizon it's the speck on the horizon that will get you the speck on the horizon we are looking at right now is the potential change in how Funds from Pittman-Robertson are allocated, 
And unless there is a way to, which I don't know what it would be, uh, to replace those funds, if they're diverted from conservation and taken away from the state's departments of natural resources, we, we have a funding hole that will basically end conservation as we know it. Moving on, just before the end of the show, I want to talk quickly about uh, a study that was done. I said I would talk about California and water, but I'm going to I'm going to save that um, because there was an interesting study that was done um, about access and and how people view access as far as their enjoyment of the outdoors. And what that study showed is that the survey and surveys you know can have lots of results. They can be written in such a way they get the they get the answers you want. But in this case, it, it, it consistently said that access is the biggest issue limiting people's use of the outdoors. And the second biggest issue is crowding. So people who go hunting and fishing are having a harder and harder time accessing areas that have quality opportunities. And those quality areas are increasingly being utilized by more and more people who have better and better equipment. So even if you're using a bike trail, I think we all know we, we prefer the bike trails and the hiking trails where there are less people. That's absolutely true with hunting and fishing. You prefer the areas that are utilized less. And an interesting thing came out of Utah recently, which is among the fastest growing states in the country, is the crowding on public lands in Utah has never been an issue. Utah has among the highest percentage of public lands of any state in America. And yet in recent years, due to the significant population issues, increases in Utah, people who long went to places to hunt and fish or recreate, and it didn't have people around them now are finding that they're crowded. So if only if Utah adds a million people and only 2% of those are hunters, you have a problem with crowding. You've added tens of thousands of new hunters, and that's what's occurring. So we'll talk more about that in the future. As the population grows, the pressure forever grows on our natural resources. All the more reason we can't divert funds from conservation. We need every penny we can get. Thanks so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.